Well, good morning, Fellowship Bittenville. It's so good to be with you this morning. Would you all stand and let's, uh, let's sing together. Of them, they're the best. Where are they at? Yes, you probably noticed 
that the uh, average age has decreased. Oh, you guys can take a seat. Um, <laughs> uh, the average age has decreased a bit in the room, and that's because it is First Sunday, um, which is a rhythm that we created here at Fellowship, where the first Sunday of every month, um, we actually bring our student ministry over here into this worship, main worship area, to worship alongside you guys, because we believe that it is so important for you to see our students worshiping and for our students to see you worshiping the Lord together. Um, this is something that our student ministry team has been praying about and dreaming about for a few years now. And so when Bentonville was launching, this was something we really wanted um, to establish with our students because we're a multi-generational church and we think that it is valuable to worship the Lord together shoulder to shoulder. And how beautiful is it that we get to do this this morning. So we're so excited. Students, we're glad that you're here. Families, we're glad that you're here as well, because we have a lot to be thankful for. I think a grateful heart um, is something that is pleasing to the Lord, and so I just want to share with you some ways that God is moving in this congregation, um, even in the past couple of weeks. Uh, last weekend, we had family camp, which was so fun. A lot of you went. We had over 200 people just from the Benville campus go to family camp, and I have heard stories after stories um, of just ways that God has moved in the lives of students and also in the lives of families and getting to rest and connect and just breathe for a day and study the Bible and scripture together. And so it was really sweet. Um, I talked to some of the elementary team and they were so thankful to the Stearns and some of the upper um, high school students who got to come and lead. And so you'll be hearing some specific stories of life change in the coming weeks, but just wanna thank the Lord for this past weekend and the chance to get away and rest and relax. Um, second, in FSM, we, there is continued life change happening, and this morning we get to celebrate that um, through baptism. And so one of our upcoming 11th graders, Abby Rassico, she is going to publicly declare her faith that she has put in Jesus. And so you'll get to hear a bit of her story um, from one of the girls that has discipled her for the last few years, and her grandfather will actually be baptizing her. So just sweet things happening in student ministry and life change happening, and we get to celebrate it together this morning. And then lastly, um, our women's ministry. A lot of you are a part of that, um, and God is moving through the context of community in huge ways, and we're seeing that in a lot of your guys' lives and in your stories and in just getting to hear um, feedback from certain small groups and Bible studies that you guys are in. And we just see the value in that. Um, and so we have a video um, I want you to hear from my friend Catherine, and she's just gonna share a little bit about what God has been teaching her the last couple of years about Catherine, tell us a little bit about you and your family. Yeah, well, my name is Catherine Henderson, as you know. Uh, I have a husband named Charlie. We have been married about six years. Been in Bentonville, uh, just a little over seven. And we have a two-year-old son named Chase, who was born in March of 2020. Wow, that's intense. You had a COVID baby. Mm -hmm. What was that like? Uh, it was not what we expected, bringing in a kid to a world that was shutting down um, at the same time. But... We got to find some sweet moments. We got to have Charlie home for those early days, which did turn into early years, just like everyone else experienced with work from home. Uh, but it also was with its normal challenges too. I would say the prideful part of me wants to just say, oh, I only felt a little bit disconnected with all the lack of in-person gathering, but it was actually a lot more than that. I think the, the more complete or raw answer is that I just experienced a much deeper loneliness than I anticipated because ahead of all of that, I, I would have thought that we were connected and really integrated. From the outside, it appeared that you and Charlie were really um, connected. You'd been in fellowship for several years. You'd led in FSM. You had a community group and um, you had work friends, neighborhood friends. Tell me a little bit more about that loneliness. What was really at the core of that? Yeah, I think my perspective has now just shipped to focusing a lot more on, on depth. 
I saw the cost of comfortable surface level relationships and what happens in the absence of deep and I would specify godly centered community. I would say that was really hard and humbling, but the Lord was gracious in the fact that he showed me that so often what was getting in the way was me and my unwillingness to let people in and show them who I really was or how I was really processing things. Don't you think though that that's really something all women struggle with of really letting themselves be known and seeking to know somebody else? Yes, it is. It's vulnerable and it is scary and it is not natural to look people in the eye and say, will you, will you be the person that calls me out and calls me up to a higher standard? Yeah. But that's where I've been. I've had to look at some of my dear friends and say, I need you to be this person and I'm sorry, I'm not naturally gonna be good at inviting you in, but here's permission to do that for me because I know that it is for my betterment that I involve people in that. That takes a lot of courage. show up but women we know that we need each other and we each have stories that we're bringing in to certain places and the community team the women's ministry team has recognized that and so we've created space this summer um, for connection to happen and that's the first one first gathering will be this Tuesday at 7 p.m. Um, we'll be meeting in the courtyard out here rain um, or sunshine we'll be meeting if it rains we'll go inside the student center but we don't wanna miss connecting together. And so we'll be meeting, bring a lawn chair, bring a friend, bring yourself, um, and let's connect this summer. Um, we need each other. And so you guys can stand and we're gonna worship the Lord together this morning. Encouragement is such a blessing from the Lord, is it not? So before we begin uh, to sing together, would you let that story, would you let Catherine's story, or the baptism that we're gonna get to witness today, Abby's baptism, would you let that life change story push your song forward in worship? Let's sing this together.
thank you for your faithfulness this morning. And we are thankful that you are a God that we can trust. Lord, as we worship, as we give our song to you this morning, as we give our offering to you this morning, as we work to give you our whole selves this morning, Lord, I pray that, that you would take this worship and you would use it to make your kingdom more visible in our hearts and also in your world, God. Amen. You all can be seated.
stand in awe and in gratitude of who you are, Jesus. We thank you that you are a God that seeks us out and you find us. No matter how bent away from you we are, Lord, you are faithful in your love for us. You've shown it in the way that you are and the things that you've done, but we'll study this morning your miracles, Jesus. They're just a testament to who you are, that you are God. Lord, we love you. We worship you and you alone this morning because you and you alone are worthy. Amen. You can have a seat. Amen. I think that's one of the best written lyrics I've ever heard. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today. I could use some of that. Bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine. 10,000 beside. Good morning. How are you this morning? Yeah, I happen to be a sucker for uh, a good sports upset, if it's the right team being upset. And I don't think I'm alone. I, I find that uh, I'm just a predictable. If my team is not in the game, I am pulling for the underdog every time. And uh, of all the great sports moments that have happened uh, in American history, the one that is still ranked number one, on Google, as the greatest sports upset in American uh, sports history. The one that Sports Illustrated still calls the top sports moment in the 20th century. It happened when I was in high school in 1980. The Winter Olympic Games in Lake Placid, New York. Anybody know which one I'm talking about? Yes, all right, people already have, you're like, yeah, even all high schoolers. We've seen Disney's Miracle. We've read American history. We know what happened way back when they first invented the ice skate, right? Now, I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico uh, during that time, not, by the way, known as a, a hockey town. I, I don't think I'd actually ever seen a hockey game in my life, but for those two weeks of the Olympics, diehard hockey fan right here. Uh, the Soviet Union, the USSR, the Soviet national hockey team have not lost a championship or an Olympic game since 1954. Uh, they were the only team with pros on their team. Team USA, we had some college hockey players assembled. Uh, in fact, right before the Olympics and the ex exhibition game between USA and USSR, uh, the Soviet Union beat us 10 to 3. Nobody thought we would even get to a medal round, and yet here we were in the gold medal game against the USSR, and as the seconds were ticking down on the clock and the U.S. was ahead 4 to 3, Al Michaels shouts out his iconic line, and it was, oh, come on, it was, there you go. Do you believe in miracles? Yes, he says, as we win the gold. Gospel of John records seven miracles. All seven, John says, is for one reason, so that we might believe more deeply in the Savior. And miracle number four that we looked at last week was the most impossible upset story for the disciples. They were put in an impossible situation that should have caused them to just walk away defeated. And yet, they participate with Jesus as he feeds a crowd of possibly up to 15,000 people miraculously. And on the heels of this incredible victory celebration, this hungry crowd fed by Jesus, but if you remember last week, they were fed through the disciples' hands. This victory parade is forming on the hillside, and the disciples are part of the bandwagon. Last week, we closed out the miracle in John chapter 6, verse 14, and there the text said, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet, meaning the one like Moses who is to come into the world. Now we pick up at verse 15 this week. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now at one level, it seems like something pretty fantastic is happening here. The people are excited about Jesus. They love Jesus so much they wanna make him king. Is Jesus already king? Yes, so the very fact that they seem to be acknowledging that seems like a great thing is happening here. But on another level, something very dangerous 
is happening because the people's view of king is not the king's view of king. Jesus has a different vision of what his king and his kingdom is like. See, the people want a ruler who will bring peace and prosperity to their outer, their earthly life. Men and women, we are no different. We constantly demand that Jesus fix our life and make it work better for us. And that's what they want as a king. And they're gonna make him be that king. But Jesus' vision of a king is to be a king who brings peace and prosperity to our inner life first. That's the life we prize. Because nothing is worse than having your life work on the outside where you're still stuck in your sin and empty on the inside. No, the king must conquer the real enemy first. No, make no mistake about it. Jesus is the kind of king who will come and bring peace and prosperity to the earthly life. There will be a day when life works like it's supposed to work. That's at his second coming, when he comes and sets up his kingdom. But before that happens, the king knows that there must be a cross before the crown, that the path of life that God has ordained always includes a cross first and then the crown. The disciples don't understand that. Jesus knows they don't understand that. So he breaks up the victory parade before it can get out of hand. Because is there anything more disastrous than followers of Jesus who don't understand what the king and the kingdom is all about? That's when misguided things have happened all throughout church history, right? And Jesus knows that. Verse 16, the story continues. Let's bring it forward. There we go. Verse 16, we continue. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. John writes the facts in, uh, in a way that almost make it sound like the disciples had this idea that they should get in the boat, because after all, the sun's starting to set, and they should start to make their way home across the Sea of Galilee. But when we look at Matthew and Mark's recording of this uh, account, you start to see that it wasn't the disciples who first had the idea to get into the boat. It was Jesus. Mark, it's actually chapter 6, verse 45, says, immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Second time you see someone trying to make someone do something. So on one hand, the crowd is trying to make Jesus become king. And now you see Jesus making his disciples get in the boat and go across the sea. The word simply means exactly what you think it means. It means to be forced or compelled against your will. Why is Jesus sending them into a boat against their will? because they would rather stay on the shore where the victory priority and the bandwagon is building and the momentum is growing. And Jesus, he knows that's dangerous. See, the lesson of the feeding of the 5,000 was being misinterpreted, not just by the crowd, but by Jesus' followers. So he makes them go to sea and learn a deeper lesson. And you see in verse 18, as John 6 continues the story, a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. How rough is rough? Well, if you ask Mark, his gospel says that Jesus could see the disciples straining against the oars, pulling hard but making very little progress. When you ask Matthew, his gospel says that the boat was battered severely by the waves. These were men who made their living on the water. They knew the difference between a difficult storm and a life-threatening storm. And this one was becoming life-threatening. And don't forget who sent them into it intentionally. Jesus. He made them leave the safety of shore and enter the danger of a storm. Because sometimes what we call safety is really danger. And the very thing that we think is dangerous, well, we will see when Jesus is in it, is quite safe. Have you ever been there, though, where that time where you think things are just going right? And suddenly, uh, you enter something that just feels like a storm in life. I, I remember uh, all the way back to New Year's Day of 2004. 
We had four kids who were younger at that time, it's kind of teens all the way down to, the, to middle school, upper elementary age area. New Year's Eve celebrating as a family. They were sleeping in late. Lisa and I were drinking coffee, and I made the comment to Lisa, honey, I really sense that 2004 is going to be a year of peace and just a, a sense of, of fruitfulness for our family, and we could use it because the three previous years had been nothing but difficulty professionally and personally. And you know, I wanna tell you, I'll go on record, I was exactly right for 18 days of the new year. Peaceful, fruitful, and then somewhere around the 18th or 19th, I discovered a lump under my left arm. And I handled it by ignoring it. I know. And then Lisa discovered that lump and there was no more ignoring it. And the cancer that I had had five years earlier had resurfaced, and this time in the lymph nodes. And it was serious enough to, to require a surgery and 13 months of, of chemo scheduled. I felt like the whole family was pushed in the boat together and sent into the storm. Folks, would it help to know that not all our storms or because we are out of God's will? Where were the disciples? In a storm and in the middle of Jesus' will. He's the one who sent them there. Now, I understand when you teach the whole Bible, what we sometimes call the whole counsel of God's word, you do come across stories like Jonah. And Jonah's storm was certainly there because he was outside of the will of God. His was a storm of correction, right? but not these disciples. They were in the will of God and theirs was a storm of perfection. They were about to discover Jesus in a whole new way, a way that Jesus knows that they needed to see. When we call danger, Jesus often calls safety. The very thing we call safety, Jesus knows is danger. And our challenge when we hit those storms we're so tempted to believe that somehow the Savior, he's just disengaged. He's up on that mountain praying, enjoying time with God, doing whatever saviors do, and you're being threatened down here in a storm, and he must not see, or he must not care, or he must not know. But look at what the Savior is doing and how he moves in their life. Next verse, verse 18, John 6, 19 says, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. So Jesus is walking on the water. That is, by the way, the fifth miracle in the Gospel of John. And it's a scary miracle. The last miracle they saw, the fourth miracle, just that morning, or probably that afternoon, so hours before, that was a fun miracle. I mean, people were cheering them. I even wonder if they got high fives as they walked by, feeding the crowds. This one... They're terrified, and it's all in the same day. John tells us that Jesus waited till the boat was four miles out in the lake. The Sea of Galilee is eight miles wide. Uh, I think it's Mark's gospel that tells us that Jesus could see them straining at the oars because the storm was so bad. Matthew's gospel says that Jesus waited to come to them between 3 and 6 a.m. It's a pretty dark time of night. Put all that together. This is the Savior. He waited till they were in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the night, and then he came to them. And he comes in a terrifying way. So the text tells us that they were scared, frightened. Actually, if you look at Mark's gospel, Mark 6, verse 49 says, but when they saw him walking on the lake... They thought he was a ghost, and they cried out because they had all seen him and were terrified. Now, before we write these 12 men off as just ancient, superstitious guys, let's don't get too judgy, okay? Middle of the night, middle of the storm, middle of an eight-mile-wide lake, they're riding up and down on the swells. They're just trying to stay in and stay afloat. The wind and the rain is in their eyes, and they see someone walking on the water toward them. 
it feels like a pretty, pretty logical conclusion to say it's a ghost, right? Regardless, they are terrified. What we often call danger, Jesus calls safety because the disciples are about to see him in a whole new way. Verse 20, the next line. But Jesus said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. So at their height of their fear, Jesus speaks to them. Don't miss the simple and the obvious in the Bible. Ours is not a silent Savior. And ours is not a distant God. If you just track the movements of Jesus in these five little verses we've read, you see that this is a Savior who, who sent them into the storm, who saw them in their storm, who came to them in their storm, and who now speaks words to them in the storm. Now, he's very active in the storms of life. And look at the little message he gives. He actually gives them a command. In the Greek language, the original language that the New Testament's written in, this is the imperative form. Uh, what we see in English is don't be afraid. It sounds kind of like a suggestion. In the literal would have been stop being afraid, a command. Hey, the last time you were terrified or had a loved one or a child who was terrified, how well did it do when you commanded them to stop being afraid? Yeah, they, they didn't make their fear go away. It just added anger to it, right? But Jesus commands, stop being afraid. How can he do that at the height of the storm? Because he doesn't just give a command. He links it to a promise. In fact, what I notice here is that the promise comes first, and the command is attached to it. And it's the promise of his presence when Jesus says, I am, literally, this is what the disciples would have heard in their language. Ego I me. I am, literally. Not it is I, that's how we would say it in English, but I am. And they would know exactly what he was saying. They would understand that Jesus is claiming to be Israel's Yahweh the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who made a covenant promise with his people, a promise that would bring his presence and his power, and that would be manifest in mercy and truth and holiness and grace and rightness, righteousness. And all of that would be summed up in a little phrase, I am. Moses was the first to get this name. He was being led out to a frightening assignment. And he said, I can't go unless I know who you are. What is your name? And the Lord says, I'm Yahweh. I am. You know, we are choosing to teach this series through the Gospel of John in kind of three waves. You know that right now, right? The first wave was looking at the seven I am statements. The second wave is looking at the seven miracles. And then the third wave that we'll do in a couple of weeks we'll start looking at the seven one-on-one -on -one personal encounters of Jesus. But if we chose to teach this book, the Gospel of John, in the way we typically teach books of the Bible at Fellowship, we would be starting in chapter one and continuing all the way to chapter 21, going in chronological order. Do you know what we would find if we went chronologically through John? We would find that Jesus makes all seven of his I am statements after he does this fifth miracle of walking on the water. What that means is, as the disciples sat in the middle of the storm, still frightened, hearing him say, I am, stop being afraid. They would have heard that he is the great I am, the one who is, is not just equal to God, but is God. And then from that point on, the Gospel of John lays out that Jesus says, this is what this means for me to be I am to you. 
I am the bread of life. I'll sustain you. I am the light of the world. I'll guide you. I am the door. You can come and have access to God through me. I am the good shepherd. I'll provide and protect. I am the resurrection and the life. There's no death in me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine, the source of all substance and life. See, what Jesus does when he gives the I am statements, he's amplifying what it means for us to believe that he is the great I am. He is the one who is self-sufficient in all we need. And I think that's the only way we can walk through storms with any kind of peace and courage. We can only be courageous in the storms of life when we see and hear the great I am in the middle of the storm. So I want you to think of the storm you're going through right now. We're a good-sized body. There's plenty of us going through a storm right now. Or if that's not you, I want you to think of the storm you just came through just recently. We're a good-sized body. Plenty have just gone through storms. If neither of those are you, good, good news. Think of the storm you're gonna be going through soon. Because you're not getting off the planet dry, okay? God loves you too much to not show you more of himself and his glory. And storms, they're just too good a curriculum for a great teacher to pass up. So if you knew that next storm you go through, the one you're in right now, the one you just came through, that Jesus was the one who actually sent you into that storm, would that cause you to trust him a little more? If you knew that Jesus saw you in that storm, would that ease your sense of aloneness? If you knew that he was coming to you in the storm, would that lessen your fear? And if you knew that he was speaking words of life-giving, anchoring truth, would that cause you to trust him and lean into him more during the storm? Because all of that is happening right now in your life as you walk through a storm. This isn't just a story for the original disciples. It's for followers of Jesus today. John chapter 16, before Jesus goes to the cross, the night before the cross, at the upper room, he says to the disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. You're not gonna be alone in your storms. He says, this is what I'm gonna do. I will send the Holy Spirit, and he's gonna do two things. He's gonna be with you. God comes to you in the storm. And he's gonna speak the words of the Father to you. God speaks to you in the storms. When we see that God, peace and courage happen in the middle of a storm. It may not calm the storms, but it will calm our hearts. If, if, if we believe in him. Believe that he is the great I am who sustains and empowers and protects and provides and, and even uses the storm. Look at how John continues in verse 21. Then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. I sometimes think the second half of this sentence, we're seeing an eighth miracle in John. It seems as though John writes this in a way that the, immediately the boat was across the other four miles. I, I don't know. John doesn't say much about that. Probably I shouldn't say much about that either, right? But what you can draw your eye to is the front half of that sentence. Then, it says. Well, then, then after when? After he spoke, I am. After they heard that and believed it really was him and that he is who he says he is, they were willing to take him into the boat. Their fears were conquered. and They were experiencing more of the presence of God. And that's kind of amazing because the last thing we just read, they were afraid of the waves and terrified of ghosts. And now their hearts are settled and they're experiencing a greater presence of Jesus. I know this sounds simple, but the very things the disciples feared was the very thing Jesus used to close the distance to them. 
They were afraid of the waves, right? What did he walk on to get to them? Waves. See, what we call waves, he calls pavement. And he uses that to close down the distance and show us more of who he is. And when we believe in the great I am in the middle of the storm, we experience that kind of peace as well. And you've seen that in your journey with Jesus, I hope. The times your belief in who he is is strong, your anchor is really deep, isn't it? The times that your belief in him is not as strong, you start wavering. You feel the shakiness of life. I've seen that. In the two weeks following after my cancer diagnosis, um, I honestly can say, to to the best of my ability to be self-aware, I had very little, if any, fear. Certainly, we were grieved and sobered, certainly. But something happened in those two weeks, waiting for surgery and waiting for the chemo plan to start. I found a boldness growing in me. I went from praying, Lord, heal me, which, by the way, we prayed often, but also, Lord, use this. Would you allow the six of us to encounter more of who you are? Would this just be a a wave that you walk on for us to experience more of who you are? And there was a peace that I even had friends ask me if I was in denial. I said, probably, I don't know. Does anybody in denial really know if they're in denial? It feels like an oxymoron, right? And then I thought, no, don't take away my peace. It's just peace. And then I had the surgery and took a week off work after it to heal up at home. And my gaze totally changed from who Jesus is and what he could be in this situation to my fixation that the next 13 months was going to be hard. Chemo every day for a month, every other day for a year. And I was panicky. Lord, how will I keep up at work? How will I be engaged with the kids' lives like I want to be engaged? Uh, And then I started looking at Lisa and saying, how will we pay for it? This ship is going down under the weight of the medical bills. And I remember after about three days of me probably incessantly vocalizing that, Lisa looked at me and said, Mark, we we are choosing to trust God with your cancer. I'm going to choose to also trust him with the medical bills and your schedule. Like, I can't do it without keeping my eyes there. What she was saying is, what you're calling a wave, I'm gonna choose to believe is pavement and lock our eyes in there. Matthew tells us the disciples' conversation, what their private talk on the boat was after Jesus entered the boat. It's his gospel in Matthew 14, 33 that says, then, that was after he got in the boat, those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. By the way, we opened this in verse 14, where the crowd was saying, wow, this could be a prophet of God. The disciples were getting caught up in that bandwagon. Jesus sends them to a storm to realize, oh no, oh no, raise your eyes. I am much bigger than that. And they say, yes, you are. You're the son of God. And that's the best part of every storm. The best part of every storm is not that you survived. That's a good part. The best part is that you saw a little more of who Jesus really is in the middle of the storm. And so what if we retrace the Savior's steps during this miracle? And what if, again, the next storm, maybe God is giving you this portion of Scripture for what may be coming through in years to come. Maybe it's for you today. But what if you really believed that Jesus is the one who sent you into your storms? This is not an accident, that he's working something bigger. What if you really believed that he sees you in the storm? What if you really believed that Jesus is coming to you in the storm, that the very waves you fear are the pavement he uses? What if you believe that Jesus is speaking to you in the storm and that his word is courageous, life-giving, peaceful words? And what if you believe that Jesus will use that storm to show you more of himself 
if you really believe these five simple things out of this fifth miracle, would that make a difference in the way you experience the storms of life? Yes. Yes, it would. And so there's our invitation to believe in the Jesus who really is. John chapter 6 comes to us with two back-to-back miracles of Jesus. The first one, Jesus the good shepherd in feeding the 5,000 shows that he will provide for his people in green pastures. I love green pastures. I like them more than storms. But the second miracle tells me that Savior is still there for me in the storm too. That he protects his people and shows us more of himself. Let's pray. Holy God, you're powerful, powerful enough to provide, powerful enough to protect. Holy God, you are good, good enough to come to us, good enough to speak to us, good enough to show us more of yourself. Jesus, you really are what we need. And we thank you that we have you and that we are yours. Here we have Abby Rastico. Um, this is her father, Mike, and her mom, Karma. 
grandmother, Pearl, and her grandfather, Glenn. And we're getting to celebrate um, Abby's choice to choose to follow Jesus through the act of baptism. And so we're so excited that we get to do that this morning. This is Lauren Schilberg. She has been leading Abby um, as a cell group leader and has also been discipling her for a few years. And so I would love for Lauren to share a little bit about Abby's story and just some things. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I've had the privilege of leading Abby for the past five years and discipling her for three, and I just have to say it's been a complete honor. Um, but if I could describe Abby in one word, it would be faithful. Um, she's faithful to truth. She's faithful to the kingdom, her friends and family, and most of all to the Lord. Um, Abby start, decided to follow Christ adamantly in middle school, but decided in the past fall to really commit her life to him, and that's when she decided to get baptized. And I just have to say she was so excited at the idea of getting to just partake in this outward expression of inward life change. Um, and it's been really cool to watch the way that she's evolved and the way that she's just so interested and committed to loving others well and learning about application and understanding and just being a better disciple of the Lord and being an incredible vessel for her him and his kingdom. And so, Abby, I just have to say I am so in awe and admire you deeply and how you are gracious, loving, kind, caring, and like I said before, faithful. I cannot wait to see what the Lord is going to do with you, and happy baptism. <laughs> so well said, Lauren. Abby, my dear granddaughter. Is it your testimony today that you have trusted Jesus to pay for your sin and give you eternal life? Yes. I am excited, Abby, to baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ and raised into newness of life. Love you. <laughs> Church, the lyrics that we're about to sing together um, are words that at times uh, can maybe be a bit difficult to sing. And if it's you this morning that's in the midst of the storm, singing the words, in all of my sorrows, Jesus is better, or more than any comfort, or more than all riches, Jesus is better, might be a difficult thing to do. And I think that's okay. I think Jesus actually gives us words like this and allows our lips to get ahead of our heart in such a way that he can actually point us towards him and he can draw nearer to us in those moments. But if it's you this morning that is in the midst of a hardship, will you allow what we just witnessed, the life change that we just got to be a part of, would you allow that to, to be evidence that Jesus is real and he is working? And in your context, he sees you and he is with you and he is speaking. So let's declare these words together as a prayer, all of us. In all my sorrows, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. In every victory, Jesus is better.
those words just one more time. Glory, glory. Glory, glory. We have no other king but Jesus, Lord of all. We raise the anthem. Our loudest praises ring. We cry, Lord of all. Amen. You can have a seat. with you guys um, today. It's been a good morning. Um, we are so glad that you joined us this morning. If you are new um, or have been coming to fellowship and you have questions, um, we would love to connect with you. And so every first Sunday of the month, we have our newcomers gathering in the student center um, just over here on the right. Um, we would love to answer questions, connect with you um, in any way. And so if that is you, please stop by um, we would love to meet with you. Um, second, if you have any prayer requests at all, um, our prayer team, Chris and Jeff, are over here and would love to pray with you. I'm not sure if you are currently in the midst of a storm or coming out of one, um, but I know that they would love to meet with you and pray with you in that. And so we're glad that you're here, glad that you came. Um, I hope that you have a great week. Um, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Have a great Sunday, and we'll see you next week.